the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Josh Pick is the Chief Investment Advisor with Aptus Wealth Management, a state-registered investment advisory firm. This program is sponsored by Aptus Wealth Management. Exposure to ideas and financial vehicles discussed should not be considered investment advice or recommendation to buy or sell financial vehicles. This information should not be considered tax or legal advice. Individuals should consult with professionals to see if any ideas expressed would fit their specific situation. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Securities can fluctuate and when redeemed may be more or less than when originally invested. Welcome to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. Every week, Josh will teach you ways to help manage, risk, and protect your retirement income in the new economy. The primary focus at Aptus Wealth is to provide flexible planning strategies that can efficiently achieve your long-term retirement goals. Welcome to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. I'm Diane Brennan. To schedule an appointment with Josh to go through the Aptus Blueprint process, the phone number is 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. Just want to remind you before we get started, you can join Josh as he talks retirement with Bruce Hooley every Monday evening at 6 p.m. on 98.9 The Answer. In case you miss it, the recording is at aptuswealth.com. Josh, let's get into the show. How are you doing? I'm doing okay, other than uh, we are now in the full swing of allergy season in Columbus, Ohio, and I am not immune to that. So if uh, my voice sounds a little sultrier than normal, that's why. I hope it lasts. And don't you feel you always have to explain to people that you're not, I'm not sick, it's just allergies. But when I see people with allergies, well, I mean, you look like you're in pain. Isn't it like being sick? P- particularly now. You know, it's always been that way, but with COVID, God forbid you cough or sniffle and, uh, you know, it, it turns into the Salem witch trials real quick. Exactly. And everybody, you know, runs away from you and hides their kids. But it's just allergies every year. Yeah. Uh, well, I hope they get better. How long do they usually last for you? you? A few weeks? Oh, uh, no, just a couple of weeks for me. I don't know what it is, but uh, whatever's rocking right now is, is not good. So speaking of COVID, a silver lining uh, is that it has increased work from home opportunities for employees in many industries. Can this enable retirees to work longer or work part-time after retirement, and and would you recommend it? Well, for some, it's been a blessing in disguise, to say the least. I mean, I I have a lot of clients that, whether they're allowed to work from home and their issue was, I just don't know if I want to do this commute anymore, um, so I might retire. uh, But now I'm working from home, and uh, it gives me purpose, and there's nothing else to do anyway because of COVID. So working is giving me that purpose, and and I don't have to commute, so I'm going to keep going. It's It's been a blessing. Uh, working part-time has allowed them to continue to work longer than they thought they were going to be able to to get you know, that part-time income source. Um, so it's been a, a blessing, and even, quite frankly, uh, it's been a blessing for some in that they've been uh, downsized because of COVID. They were planning on retiring anyway, and their company gave them an early buyout. So while COVID has been a blessing for some, it's definitely been a curse for others, um, and some people have lost their jobs and not been able to work. But speaking specifically about the benefits. One thing to look out for that I have uh, encountered, although it rare, is remember Social Security has some income limits. And if you're not full retirement age, you can only make a certain amount of money. And once you exceed that amount of money, it's less than $20,000 a year, 
Once you exceed that amount of money, every $2 you make above that threshold, uh, $1 is withheld from your Social Security. So one error that I have seen, just as a word of caution, is people will go part-time, work from home, but also file for their Social Security and quote-unquote retire early. And they're going to get a rude awakening uh, when they file their tax return and the IRS realizes that they're making too much money for their Social Security collection. And maybe their plan of, this is awesome, I can retire early between Social Security and working part-time, I have plenty of money, that might not quite pan out the way that they thought. So again, this comes down to planning, planning, planning. The other thing, though, that is a little bit concerning about the working part-time is some of the reasons that I'm hearing. Um, and, and by some of those reasons, I don't necessarily mean, oh, this is a great thing, I get to work part-time and I want to do that anyway. Uh, I think we're, we're experiencing a little bit of other fallout from the pandemic from people who are going to retire. Although the market is doing well, although their Social Security is still very much intact, although they look like they can retire by all metrics, they have become very pessimistic about the future as a result of the pandemic and or politics and or spending and or whatever the reason is, all occurring from the current environment. I'm noticing that a lot of people are working longer than they had planned for either additional security that they didn't they didn't think they were going to need 10 years ago for themselves or their kids so i hear oftentimes from clients i am not that concerned about me but i am very concerned as to what's going on in the country as a result of the pandemic as it relates to my kids and grandkids so i'm glad that i can continue to work because i can bolster my savings to be able to help them in the future should they need it and while that's a very noble cause, and I'm glad that you know they're, they're taking that position, um, it is concerning that that is a, a very common belief that I have not heard for a long time. As a matter of fact, I didn't even hear it during 2009 in the housing crisis. I didn't hear it so much during the dot-com bubble, but I'm hearing it now. It seems like, whether it's pressed on by the media, COVID, or otherwise, that there is a systemic belief that the future is not as positive as the past was when we looked at it prior to. So that concerns me a little bit. So part of my job is is trying to come up with, or showing people at least, the alternatives to add solidarity, the planning mechanisms to add solidarity, to still be able to accomplish their objectives, even in the event of increased taxation, inflationary measures, et cetera, et cetera. But that's, that's a big one that I hear those are almost ni- daily. Those are nice people. My parents are like, hey, you're on your own. Then for yourself. Yeah. Right. What about people? Yeah, well, there's certainly some of that still, but but I hear it more often than I have in the past. What about people that just aren't prepared for retirement, not financially, but emotionally, mentally, uh, and work gives them a, a sense of purpose? Yeah, and, and the part-time has also given them a, a way to transition slower. And I, I, I would tell people that while I understand you need to find purpose, and, and the first question I always ask people when they say they want to retire is, what are you going to do? You need to have something that gets you out of bed in the morning or you'll see that kind of decline in people quickly. Um, Part-time has has helped them there. Um, But also, I think just in general, you need to find that purpose somewhere. Uh, So, you know, kind of do a transition into retirement. But know that if you get it wrong, as long as you have the money piece of it right, you can always go back and do something. So don't feel, I have one client who's retired six times. Keeps going back to work. He goes, ah, I got bored. He goes back. 
just because you retire and you get it wrong, as long as you have the financial wherewithal to make it, you can always go back and do something, charity work, go back and find another job, et cetera. So don't think that you're, you know, you're hopping off a cliff never to return. There are options. I'm not saying retirement's for everybody, but there are options. You at least have the flexibility to discover it is what gives you a purpose other than working. Of course. You're listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. I'm Diane Brennan. To schedule your own planning session to learn new strategies to manage risk, if you have questions about the show, you can call Josh at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. Let's talk about medical expenses in retirement. No one looks forward to that. But are there some cases where retirees can lessen the blow? What can we do now to prepare for that? Well, shy of... You know, we just got done talking about uh, purpose in retirement. Shy of purpose, the biggest fear that I hear is medical expenses. And while some of those are manageable, um, I think the real concern is what does the future hold, right? We hear a lot about um, Social Security is going to run out of money. And if you look at Social Security and you think that's bad, wait until you look at Medicare and Medicaid. Um, And then we hear that the stats are rising. In other words, uh, you know, 15 years ago when we talked about long-term care, for example, the chances of you going into a long-term care facility were about 25%. So about one in four people went into a long-term care facility. But the stay was like three years, so it was, it was quite lengthy. Uh, now, it's about, recent stats I've seen is about 50-50 with a little bit shorter stay. So now we have to start planning for long-term care. And everybody has a long-term care plan as it sits today. And that plan is, I'm going to pay for it myself, and when I run out of money, well, then hopefully the government likes the facility that I'm in and Medicaid will pick up the tab. If they don't, then at probably the worst time in my life, I'm going to be have to tr- transfer to another facility that I probably don't get to pick to let the government start paying, picking up my tab. So, you know, long-term care is a concern, of course, for choice, et cetera. But one thing that I'm starting to hear is what if Medicaid and Medicare are not the same 10, 20 years from now? Well, then what? What if I run out of money and now Medicaid doesn't pick up the tab? What are they just going to throw me on the street? Like, what's the option here? So uh, I think that the, 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 the caution or the, the concern that people have is warranted. I think we need to have a plan in place. Does that mean that everybody should go out and buy a gigantic long-term care policy and buy the best supplement to their Medicare uh, possible? Of course not, uh, for a lot of reasons. One, uh, might not be the best thing for you. And two, it might not be affordable for you. But I think that the planning process, and I know I hammer that all the time, but the process of investigating your options, getting educated, and then making an educated decision is more important now than arguably ever. Uh, The cost of insurance is going up quite dramatically. Matter of fact, in our office, when we run projections, we assume that everybody's going to need, you know, somewhere between 2 and 3% inflation adjustments on their purchasing power, meaning the cost of milk, the cost of food, the cost of whatever is going to go up by roughly 3%, which it's been about 2.5% over the last 25 years. So we could argue that that's pretty reasonable. However, uh, we double that for the cost of health insurance. So that adds a strain on the system. It adds an extra need that we have to plan for. This is all absolutely accounted accounted for when we do our our blueprint process. But um, we have to come up with ways to lessen that blow, whether it's through Um, hedging our bets through insurance policies on long-term care, whether it's the utilization of trust work to make ourselves look a little less wealthy when that time comes, or whether it's through getting uh, adequate supplements to our long-term care to make sure that 
our uh, out-of-pocket expenses are a little bit more locked in play rather than variable because one thing that you don't want when you retire is surprises. Or it's taking advantage of you know, tax deductions along the way that apply to us to make sure that we're paying for some of these with pre-tax rather than post-tax dollars. So there's a lot of things to do, a lot of things to analyze, making sure you final, file things on time so you don't get hit with a you know, a prescription drug, Medicare Part D coverage uh, penalty for the rest of your life. So there's a, a lot of parts and pieces here, Diane, and I, I don't necessarily want to focus on one in particular because there are so many and it's a coordinated effort, but it is a challenge. And, uh, you know, I would say that it's probably overlooked by most financial planners because there's not really a whole lot of money to be made when we're talking about what's the best Medicare plan to buy. But it's something that we have to take into account if we're going to have an adequate and comprehensive plan. So we talk about it all the time. I'm always shocked at how much long-term care costs per year if, if you or a spouse has to be put into a long-term care facility. Let's, let's explain to people what in Ohio that costs a year. Oh, yeah. Six, six to $8,000 a month is, is very, very common. You know, I, I typically hear things in the 7,000-plus range for a, long, for a true nursing facility. And then if you want... You know, we all know uh, if you're if you're getting to that age of, you know, 70, 80 years old where you've actually taken a look at some of this or you've had friends that unfortunately have, have had to go to some of these facilities. We all know the golden the golden gooses of these facilities and those those prices go up even more and it's hard to find beds and it's hard to find coverage. And usually they are not covered by Medicaid. So um, it can be atrociously expensive and it can also be a difficult journey. So having your directives in order and kind of doing some investigation early on will serve you well in the long run. Josh's number is 614-364-7300, 614-364-7300. And join Josh as he talks retirement with Bruce Hooley every Monday at 6 p.m. on 98.9 The Answer. You can always find the recording at aptuswealth.com. More with Josh Pick when we come back. You're listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show. We'll be back with more at the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick at 98.9 The Answer. To create a successful retirement plan in today's economy, it takes a customized, solutions-based approach. At Aptus Wealth Management, founder Josh Pick calls it the Aptus Blueprint, and it's focused on managing risk instead of chasing returns. If you're working with another advisor or simply want a second opinion, put his team to work for you. To schedule a complimentary consultation to learn more about the Aptus Blueprint process, contact Josh at 614-364-7300 or visit aptuswealth.com. There is no cost or obligation, but space is limited. To start your plan, call 614-364-7300. 7300 or visit aptuswealth.com. Thanks for listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show with Josh Pick. To schedule your complimentary customized planning session, give Josh a call at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. You're listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. I'm Diane Brennan. To schedule your own planning session and to learn new strategies to manage risk, give Josh a call at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. Josh, Bernie Madoff uh, passed in prison after taking advantage of tens of thousands of people for over 16 years. For all of the bad things he did, what are some lessons that investors in the financial industry have learned from his crimes? That's an interesting question. Well, one, I would say that usually, as you look historically speaking through these Ponzi schemes, which is essentially what he ran, and, and let's not mistake what he did. It was it was the biggest Ponzi scheme, I believe, in history. We're talking about numbers in the tens of, uh, actually, I think it was like 60 or $70 billion 
that was that was out there in this Ponzi scheme. I mean, it, it was huge. All of these Ponzi schemes, almost without fail, at least the ones that you hear about, started off as legitimate businessmen. So, you know, Bernie Madoff was one of the biggest market makers. I think, uh, if my memory serves me, uh, at one point he was responsible for five percent of the trades on the New York Stock Exchange. So, I mean, he was a very legit company uh, providing a service on a very high level for decades before he went down the Ponzi scheme path. So oftentimes when you look at these white collar investment style Ponzi schemes, they start off as very legitimate business people with great track records, i.e. resumes, et cetera. And their story sounds very believable before they head down the path of the Ponzi scheme route. Now, his was a little bit unique in that because he was so revered and so respected in the industry, he didn't have to do all of the things that I'm going to give you as indicators to look out for. But in general, the multi-million dollar Ponzi schemes, uh, and by multi-million, I mean, you know, 25, 30, 50 million, 100 million dollar Ponzi schemes usually look a lot like this. They will not be registered securities uh, in the way that everybody can invest in them. They will be things that are only open to accredited investors. An accredited investor means that you make over a certain dollar amount per year. I believe the number is 200000 individually or 300000 as a married couple. And you have a net worth exclusive of your home of greater than a million dollars. And those prerequisites allegedly give you um, the knowledge base to be able to make educated decisions on let's call them fringe investments. And these fringe investments will be uh, usually Reg D filings, which are not subject to the same scrutiny and due diligence as normal investments that would be available through, say, like a TD Ameritrade. And the people who are running them typically have a strong background. But ultimately, we know a Ponzi scheme, right? The money comes in, it goes out to the people who are requesting money, and the house of cards will ultimately fail. So first off is look out for... I used to work for this company, and now I found a bigger, better, faster way to do it. And um, the returns are usually, uh, you know, we can do twice what the market does. It's uh, less volatility. Things that just sound good to be tr too good to be true. Quite frankly, the reason Bernie Madoff, I think, made it as long as he did is because he did not give crazy rates of return. Not that they weren't great. They were great rates of return, but they weren't so outlandish that it was unbelievable. Oftentimes, these Ponzi schemes have unbelievable rates of return. But remember always too, that what they will always do, all of them, and the, the, the trap that you can fall in, is they will always appear to your fear or your greed. By fear, I mean, you better do this now before you follow all the sheep off the cliff. Um, you know, it's coming, you better get out of the way, the smart money's doing this, look at all the billionaires, they're all doing this, invest in gold, food storage, you know, the doomsdayers, they will appeal to that emotion. Or the cryptocurrency type strategy, which, and I'm not saying cryptocurrencies aren't here to stay, I'm not saying it's not a great investment, I'm not saying any of that stuff. But the romanticism of uh, what would you do if you could quit your job today and live like lifestyles of the rich and famous with a Ferrari and you had no money woes whatsoever, Learn how Bob did this and took off. Those will be the two approaches. 
So try and take a step back get a, and get a trusted advisor to run these things past and say, are they a good idea before you fall victim to some of these? Because people that are very, very smart have fallen victim to these things that you wouldn't think would. I mean, very astute investors get trapped in these things as well because the people running them, unfortunately, are pretty smart typically. So just be cautious, understand your emotions, find a trusted advisor who can look at this uh, without emotions involved and ask very significant questions or, or very intelligent questions and do a little bit of digging for you and see if it's actually a good thing for you to do. So Madoff was their trusted advisor, was he not, that presented them with this opportunity? So what, what can we as just regular folks do to um, research ourselves, whether our, you know, who we thought was a trusted advisor is really presenting a, a good deal to us? Yeah, well, typically the easiest way is make sure there's a financial intermediary in the way. That, that'll get rid of a lot of these. In other words, so I, I'd like to invest, uh, you know, Jim, I'd like to invest in what you're presenting here. Who would I make the check out to? Well, you make it off, out to Bernie Madoff Industries or Bernie Madoff Securities, I believe is the name of his company. Uh, wait, hold on a second. So I make the check out essentially to you. And then I trust you to tell me what I'm earning on my money. Yes, that's correct. Uh, no. Um, okay. I'd like to make my money out to TD Ameritrade and you can manage it there. But I want to see that some other intermediary that doesn't have a vested interest in being able to take my money is telling me that my money is where you say it's going to be. So that's, that's step one. And then step two would be ask somebody else. Get a second opinion. Consider when you invest $100,000 in something, consider it heart surgery. I want to make sure before I get cut open, I go get a second opinion. Excellent. You're listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. To schedule your own planning session, to learn new strategies to manage risk, if you have questions, give Josh a call at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. With the passing of Prince Philip, we're, we're talking a lot about a lot of death here today, uh, but with this passing, it, it's a reminder that we all are going to have the same end result. Let's talk about getting ready uh, and our finances in order uh, for when that day happens. Well, Diane, you're asking the question. So you're setting the tone here for uh, the fact that, you know, death and doom is today, I guess. Yeah. But, uh, I guess full disclosure, I, I, I don't follow the royalty of the East over there. Um, so I, I don't know a lot about this topic. However, um, I have read a little bit because, you know, I'm not under a rock somewhere and it's been covered a lot. And I would say the one thing that I've read about it is it, you're not hearing any issues with, uh, you know, the secret will, or we don't know where the money's going to go, or his directives were not clear. We don't know where we're going to bury the person. We don't know how we didn't know what we were going to do in the event that his health care took a turn to the left. So it seems to me that he had all of his directives in order, which would make sense for somebody in the royal family. I got to think there's a whole advisory board to make sure that that happens correctly. But what are the takeaways that we can, that we have from that? Well, we should have all of our healthcare directives in order so that our family does not have to deal with what do we do? What would mom or dad want? Um, secondly, our funeral. Remember that whoever your heirs are or whoever's going to be handling this um, is already going to be dealing with a lot of grief. They're going to be dealing with a lot of things that are, they're going to have a lot asked of them while they're dealing with all that grief. And they're going to have to handle your financial scenario 
whether or not you want to be buried, cremated, et cetera, et cetera, where you want to go, the more that you can tie up those loose ends so they're following a directive, they're following just a, a checklist, the easier it's going to be for them. So if nothing else, do it to make their lives easy. Um, also, it can be more cost efficient to do that way, by the way. But uh, I, I think that what I'm reading shows that they did a very good job of that. And I hope that other people start doing that. And, and the more clear you are, and I, I have this conversation with clients all the time, Diane, the more clear you are, the better. For example, I would like um, this money to go here, this money to go here. I'd like my china plates to go here. I'd like my you know, firearms, rings, whatever it is that you can, uh, sports cars, whatever you consider a value. I want these things to go to these specific spots. Try and be as specific as you can be so that it's just easy. It's just an easy, easy transition. And a lot we can help you with in my office. What we can't help you with in my office, we have great relationships with attorneys. We'll get you to the right people so they can help you along the way. Um, but try and, I know they're difficult conversations. Nobody wants to think about death, but unfortunately none of us get out of here alive. So we have to do that. And the last time you want to think about it is when you're on your actual you know, proverbial deathbed. So the younger, the better do it now. You know, I have all these things in place right now. And I assure you at 42 years old, I'm not, uh, I'm not super concerned about dying anytime soon, or at least I hope I shouldn't be, but you should still get these things covered as quick as possible. Speaking of wills, it's, is it true that people can say if, if my kids can test this, then nobody's getting anything? Not really. So a, a will is a great, I'm not saying it's not a good tool. It's a great tool. And first, you know, full disclosure, I'm not an attorney. I'm not giving anybody legal advice, but uh, it's also not my first dance down this path. Um, you know, a will will cover all of your stuff that your beneficiaries don't already cover. So let's kind of go through the average person. You probably have a house. You probably have some retirement accounts. You probably have some checking savings types accounts. You probably have a car and then you have all your stuff. So your, you know, your furniture, your clothing, et cetera. All of your retirement accounts will go to a beneficiary. So that bypasses a will altogether bypasses probate. Uh, your checking savings accounts, if you're married, make sure they're set up, you know, jointly or with a transfer on death beneficiary. If you're not married, whoever you want to leave that money to, set them up as a transfer or payable on death beneficiary at the bank. That also bypasses probate. No problem. Your house. Do the same thing. Your car, a little more difficult. Your stuff inside your house, that's what your will handles. So if you have young kids, your will handles who's going to take care of the kids. And other than that, it basically handles your stuff. If you want to, as we call it, govern from the grave, if you want to dictate how that money is paid out, in other words, you have two kids, you're leaving this money to your kids, one's really fiscally conservative, the other one, you know, if you give them your, this money, it's going to be gone in a week. You can control how that money's paid out to who, and you can also control things like you just said. If anybody contests this, you're out. But that's really, for the most part, handled through a trust and not through a will. I don't know that that would hold up via a will, but again, I'm not an attorney. I wouldn't say it's very ironclad. Okay. If anyone has questions, let me give you Josh's number. As he said, he is not an attorney, but he can point you into the right directions as well if you have questions about this. Josh's phone number is 614-364-7300, 614-364-7300. The website is aptuswealth.com, and you can join Josh every Monday for Money Mondays with Bruce Hooley at 6 p.m. on 98.9 The Answer. More of the Aptus Retirement Blueprint show with Josh Pick when we come back. 
If you're concerned about the market and you want to learn new strategies to manage retirement risks, call our office to learn more about the Aptus Retirement Blueprint today at 614-364-7300. There's no cost or obligation, but space fills fast. Give us a call at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. To create a successful retirement plan in today's economy, it takes a customized, solutions-based approach. At Aptus Wealth Management, founder Josh Pick calls it the Aptus Blueprint, and it's focused on managing risk instead of chasing returns. If you're working with another advisor or simply want a second opinion, put his team to work for you. To schedule a complimentary consultation to learn more about the Aptus Blueprint process, contact Josh at 614-364-7300 or visit aptuswealth.com. There is no cost or obligation, but space is limited. To start your plan, call 614-364-7300. 7300 or visit aptuswealth.com. Thanks for listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show with Josh Pick. To schedule your complimentary customized planning session, give Josh a call at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. Welcome back to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. I'm Diane Brennan. Josh, let's talk about imp- priorities and what are what are some of the most important ones for someone that is nearing retirement well i guess you know you're getting close to the one yard line so everything is amplified right we got to make sure that we have our ducks in a row ultimately so it's first things first make sure that you have a financial plan done um, make sure that your risk management is in order we can dive into these as far as you want to but um, i want to make sure that uh, you know i know exactly how much i'm going to need I want to make sure that I have taken into account inflation, taxes, the impact of Social Security. I've stress tested this. I've, I've, I've really crossed all my T's and dotted all my I's, and I know how much money I'm going to need in certain categories, and I know how much I have now, and now I know how much I have to save towards that goal between now and then to make sure that my error hits the target. Now that we know that, we want to take advantage of some of the things that are afforded to us as we get closer and closer to retirement. For example, once you hit the age of 50, if you're over the age of 50, you can contribute, should you need to, want to, or have the money to, more money into your 401k than you can prior to that. So, for example, you can only put 19500 I say only. I know that's a big number. But you can put $19,500 per year into your 401k. Once you crest 50, there's a $6,500 catch-up provision. So, theoretically, every single year between 50 and when you retire, you could put away a year. On top of that, if you want to supplement that retirement uh, uh, income or retirement savings, traditionally, in a traditional or Roth IRA, you can put $6,000 a year. Now you're over the age of 50. You can put $7,000 a year into it with a $1,000 catch-up. So again, pointing back, though, we have to determine how much we need to save to get to the target we want to reach at the age that we want to do it. And that requires a lot of planning. But once we figure that out, We have these increased contribution limits that will help us along the way. The other thing is part of that plan is how much are taxes going to impact our retirement picture? And the reason I bring that up is because is now a good time to start doing things like Roth conversions? Or should I start putting more of my money into the Roth component of my 401k if it allows it? Or should I start doing a Roth contributory uh, IRA if I can qualify uh, income-wise? And to refresh everybody's memory on why that's important, your 401ks, IRAs, 403bs, all that stuff with the exception of the Roth, you put in money pre-tax, which is great because you get a tax benefit today, 
It grows tax deferred, which is great because you don't have to pay taxes on the gains along the way. But then every dollar you pull out is taxable. So when you think about retirement income, the goal is it's not just what you make, it's what you keep. We want to make sure that we are able to keep as much as we possibly can on our withdrawals. And we're able to control where we pull the money from. So if we had some Roth and some traditional, we could control where we pull that money from and potentially lower our overall tax liability and keep ourselves from, quote unquote, jumping a bracket. That also applies to Social Security. How and when am I going to take it? Because I have a lot of choices. If I retire at 62, I can take it at 62. But there's some income thresholds, and also I get a lot less. If I retire at my, if I take it at my full retirement age, which is somewhere between 66 and 67, based upon what your age is today, uh, arguably for me, maybe it's 95, but for most people listening, it's going to be between 66 and 67. Uh, you get more, but how does that impact my taxes? And then maybe should I wait any even longer? Maybe afford myself to do more Roth conversions? I, I don't know. When, when should I take it? All I do know is taxes affect my bottom line. And when I collect my Social Security affects how much I get. And then how much other income I have on top of that affects how much my Social Security gets taxed. So it's kind of this revolving uh, circle of, of uh, calculations. Obviously, all part of the blueprint, all part of the things we take a look into. We want to make sure that we're as efficient as possible. But remember, again, the closer we get to retirement, the more important these things become. And we're running out of time to make impactful changes. So we want to get on that as quick as we possibly can. Besides the weekend, you can hear Josh with Bruce Hooley every Monday at 6 p.m. for Money Mondays on 98.9 The Answer. This is the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. Josh, when it comes to money, a lot of people have a hard time uh, discussing that. Do you, do you find that people who come into your office have a, have a difficult time discussing it? Some do. Some uh, have no problem at all. But I, I would assume it's not much unlike going to the doctor's office. I mean, I think we all have a fear of of sounding stupid to some capacity. And, and for some people, finance isn't their thing. You know, it's not something they enjoy talking about. It's not something that they spend a lot of time researching. And they might be absolute geniuses in their respective field. But the last thing that they want to do, because they are so intelligent in general, is ask a question or sound stupid as it relates to their money because they're successful in other areas of their life. But I think the easy way to overcome that is to ask them the appropriate questions to get the information that I need. And through the asking of questions, create a dialogue that allows me to gently kind of take them through the journey. Because they may not believe that they know that much about money, but most time, more, more often than not, people know that more than they think. They just have this trepidation of feeling uh, that, man, if I ask this, this is probably a dumb question. Matter of fact, something I hear all the time, Diane, is, I know this is probably a stupid question, but, and my response is always the same, we're talking about your livelihood and your ability to last, this money to last for the rest of your life. Let's go ahead and assume that no question is stupid, and let's go ahead and assume that no question is off limits. In other words, if you're going to entrust me to manage your money for the remainder of your life, which is going to provide you the security that you need to live a wholesome life from here on out, then don't hold back on any question you ask about me either. You know, how do I know you're not going to be, we talked earlier today about Bernie Madoff. How do I know you're not going to be the next, you're not the next Bernie Madoff? How can I have that solidarity? How can I have that comfort? Let's spend 15, 20 minutes explaining uh, how that could not happen in my, the way that I'm set up. Um, so, you know, as much as uh, it's sometimes difficult to break the ice, the right questions and the disarmament of 
everything is fair game. I'm probably going to say some dumb stuff in our conversations too. Um, I'm, I'm going to forget something. And, you know, as long as you promise not to, to make fun of me, I certainly won't make fun of you. And I think, you know, not standing uh, above people. You know, I think my industry oftentimes likes to uh, hold itself on a pedestal. Like somehow, you know, we've got some secret sauce over here that nobody's privy to. You know, we're, we got the bat phone and you don't and you can't even see it. When in reality, I just have some education that you don't have in a particular area. But we're all facing the same challenges in life. Know that. And let's have a, just a, a good, honest conversation about what makes the most sense for you. You're on the same team. I know that a lot of people might be afraid that they're just not doing enough. Every week when we wrap up this radio show, Mike, our producer, and I turn to each other and go, wow, we are in trouble. We're not doing enough. <laughs> and you're, you're scared to really look at that picture of where you're at, kind of like to have our head in the sand. I mean, I always think, wow, I've really got to marry Rich. Mike, I don't know what you have to do. But... <laughs> oh, I'm screwed no matter what. I'm hopeless. Yeah. He's already marrying Rich in, in love, right, Mike? Oh, absolutely. I'm going to record that. Actually, I am recording that. I'm going to save that and send that over. <laughs> Fair enough. No, I, I think you're, you're right, Diana. It, a lot of times it can be overwhelming. And you'd be surprised as many times as I've told people, you know, we need to do more. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not going to tell you that everything's going to be rosy and great because what kind of service am I doing for you if when you're 78 years old you run out of money because I told you, no, everything's fantastic. And there's plenty of people out there that'll do that. I'm just not one of them. But as many times as I've had to unfortunately have that conversation, I've had plenty of conversations when, I, when I'm able to tell people either they are good and they didn't think they were, or they're certainly not nearly as bad off as they thought they were. And oftentimes, you know, what you don't know is, is oftentimes scarier than what you do know. Because once we know what it is, we can develop a plan around it. And sure, that plan might be you got to work a couple extra years longer than you were hoping but then you'll be fine. So it's not the ideal plan, but at least you know. And, and not knowing and just crossing your fingers certainly isn't a plan. No, it certainly is not. Let's go through the process when a person calls your office and what is the blueprint process that you take them through uh, just to give them an idea what to expect when they call and make the appointment. Well, I think we've been talking a lot about appointment number one already, and that's our discovery appointment. And that's asking the right questions, learning as much as we possibly can about you, what does retirement look like for you? Uh, what have you been doing up to this point? What are you continuing to do? And quite frankly, what are you capable of doing? You know, it'd be easy to tell somebody, well, as long as you save $100,000 a year from here on out, you're going to be great. When you, they only make $80,000 a year, it's clearly not in the cards. So how can we make impactful changes? But what are you doing? And what does your target look like in the way of retirement? How do you want to live? And then in meeting number two, we're just going to analyze what you're currently doing today. So if you continue to do what you're doing, this is what your future looks like. And this isn't meant to scare people. Sometimes it's often, you know, oftentimes it's better information than what they thought. But what are some of the speed demands that could get in the way on that roadmap that would prevent you from getting to where you want to go? And then in meeting three, we call it the blueprint. We address all of those potential speed bumps. So how could we improve your tax situation? How can we make sure that you know, X, Y, Z occurs and it doesn't derail your plan. How could we reduce your risk and, a chain and achieve the same results that you're, you're uh, trying to do right now? In other words, you just have too much risk allocated, too much in X, Y, Z. And then not until meeting number four do we decide, is this a mutually beneficial relationship for us 
should we continue to work together moving forward? And what would that look like? Um, full disclosure, full transparency all the time. But I cannot guarantee that that's what we end up doing. But I can guarantee that throughout the process of meetings one through three, you will learn a heck of a lot and be in a far better position than you were when you first came in. Is asset preservation, it's one thing to build your nest egg, but preserving it, is it just as difficult as building it? Well, I would say it's just as difficult, but I would argue that it's even more difficult because there's a lot less information out there on it. And I would argue that that's because, you know, as a financial institution is concerned, what is more important to them? Getting more management fees off of your money as it grows or helping you efficiently take that money out of the management so they make less money. Well, obviously, it's the prior, not the latter. So uh, while preservation, I would say, is as important, if not more important, because now we're at that point where there's not too many do-overs and we need to make sure the money lasts for the rest of our lives, there's less information on how to effectively do it, shy of just make sure you don't take out too much so you run out of money. There's more information than that out there. It's just not as readily available. So I've dedicated the bulk of my career on just that. What's the most efficient way to create income streams in a tax-efficient manner so that we don't outlive our money, we adjust for inflation, et cetera. To go through the Aptus Blueprint process, Josh's phone number is 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. And join Josh as he talks retirement with Bruce Hooley every Monday at 6 p.m. on 98.9 The Answer. The recording you'll find at aptuswealth.com. More with Josh Pick when we come back. You are listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show. To create a successful retirement plan in today's economy, it takes a customized, solutions-based approach. At Aptus Wealth Management, founder Josh Pick calls it the Aptus Blueprint, and it's focused on managing risk instead of chasing returns. If you're working with another advisor or simply want a second opinion, put his team to work for you. To schedule a complimentary consultation to learn more about the Aptus Blueprint process, contact Josh at 614-364-7300 or visit aptuswealth.com. There is no cost or obligation, but space is limited. To start your plan, call 614-364-7300. 7300 or visit aptuswealth.com. Thanks for listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show with Josh Pick. To schedule your complimentary customized planning session, give Josh a call at 614-364-7300. Welcome back to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. How can investors strengthen their profile by having a better understanding of asset allocation? Well, asset allocation in general is diversifying your asset base so that one, you know, catastrophic loss in one section does not, you know, completely cripple you. So, for example, um, if you had all your money in Enron, obviously that would have played out poorly. So, in general, asset allocation or diversification is uh, diversification is a start. We want to have more than just one stock so that if Enron goes down, it doesn't wipe us out. Asset allocation takes it to the step further than that, saying that not all asset classes are correlated, meaning uh, if large cap growth stocks go down, it doesn't necessarily mean every asset category goes down. Or, you know, as stocks uh, go down, bonds typically uh, offset some of those drops. So asset allocation, you know, is a, is a very important piece of the puzzle in making sure that you reach your goals in the most smooth and efficient way possible by uh easing some of the bumps. Now, the problem with that is that the traditional way of asset allocation or the way that most people do it is you will have large stocks, mid-sized stocks, small stocks, international stocks in those categories as well. 
and then bonds of all different varieties. And as we get older, the conventional way of thinking is we increase our position in bonds because bonds offer more safety and stability than stocks do. And again, typically, as volatility increases in the stock market, bonds provide an alternative asset class that does not necessarily go in tandem with that volatility, oftentimes actually goes the opposite direction. The downside to that, and that methodology has worked for decades. I mean, if you look over the last 40 years, bonds have, have, have provided a tremendous amount of stability and quite significantly, uh, or in, quite frankly, significant rates of return, even in relation to the stock market. So it's been great. The reason it's been great is because bonds are inversely proportional to interest rates, which means as interest rates go down, bond prices go up. Well, if you think back to the crazy 80s, when interest rates and mortgages were you know, high teens, uh, even low 20s, to today, where they're essentially nothing, interest rates have done nothing but go down for about the last 40 years, which means it's been a relative bull market for bonds for about the last 40 years. The unfortunate reality is there's only three things that bonds can do. They can uh, stay the same, go up or go down. Well, they've gone up for the last 40 years because interest rates have gone down. But if interest rates go the other direction, then bonds can, in fact, go down. As a matter of fact, if you look at the year-to-date on bonds in general, they're down on the year. So you can certainly lose money or at least not do very well in bonds. If interest rates remain the same, then your bond portfolio will continue to pay the same. That's good news, other than interest rates are essentially nothing, which means your bonds are paying essentially nothing. So what are your three options? Earn essentially nothing, lose money, or interest rates somehow fall further from here, and then I do well. It's not looking really favorable for bonds. Now, that does not mean that I think that bonds are the next bubble and everybody's going to lose their shirt in bonds. But what it does mean is that I do not believe that bonds will continue to provide the safety, security, and more importantly, rate of return that they have over the last 40 years. So as we look at asset allocation, arguably the most important thing in investing, shy of you know, taxes and uh, appropriate withdrawal rates and picking the right stocks, et cetera, but asset allocation is one of the largest indicators of your success. But as we focus on retirement income, having an asset allocation that generates income comprising only of stocks and bonds will be a very risky proposition in an environment where people's largest fear due to stimulus spending, due to potential increased taxation, et cetera, their biggest fear is inflation, is going to be a very, very difficult game to play with just those two asset classes. So we have to come up with alternative asset classes, come up with more. For those of you who heard me talk before, I oftentimes talk about uh, the three-legged stool approach, Social Security being one leg or one income source, your 401k or stocks being another income source, but we need a third. And that third traditionally has been arguably bonds. We need to come up with an alternative to bonds because of interest rates, not because this particular, that whatever investment we pick is better in general, just better today than bonds are today. So we have to look at asset allocation as one of the most important things, but we can't be so married to the traditions that we end up getting hurt. And there's been times, Diane, look from 1950 to 1960, bonds did 1% or 2% for a period of a decade. Now, inflation is more than that, and it certainly was back then as well. You're actually going backwards, not forwards. 
and we need to make sure that we continually go forwards. So let's look at other asset classes. I'm happy to talk about that you know, when we have a little bit more time. But let's look at other asset classes that will get us safely from here to there. And the fortunate part, Diane, is that the other asset classes that we're talking about provide more safety and more security than bonds. So we can kind of knock out two birds with one stone, take a little bit more aggressive posture should we choose on stocks because we have less risk on what used to be our bond portfolio. And hopefully we can get you know, two times the rate of return that bonds are looking to get over the next 10 years. Where does cryptocurrency play in asset allocation? And do you feel this is definitely something people who are nearing retirement or in retirement should be looking at as part of their portfolio? Well, I'm certainly not one of the people that believes cryptocurrency is a fad. Um, it's here to stay. Uh, people are constantly looking for alternative asset classes, particularly to currency, uh, which is why, you know, historically gold's been such a powerful thing or silver, because we want to look for inflation hedges on things that cannot be manipulated by the federal government in the way of currency. So uh, I'm not a pundit of these types of things, nor am I necessarily a proponent, because there's no question that the volatility metric on all of these has been pretty breakneck. Where I would categorize it to answer your question is in an area of ancillary investments. And by that, I mean every portfolio should afford itself you know, five, maybe even on the high side, 10%, depending upon your situation, of a position to be able to take, let's say, sector positions or sector bets, sometimes in my world we call them. And I hate to use the word bets because it sounds like gambling. But to some degree, you know, I believe that, you know, you hear people say, I believe marijuana is here to stay and marijuana stocks would be a great place to go. That's the next surgeons. Or I want to bet on this new solar energy company. It's really kind of a fringe thing. It could go either way, but if it goes, it's going to go big. How about cryptocurrency? How about you know, whatever it is? We can allocate about 5% to those types of items. Now, if you want to go more than that, that's fine. We just have to have a longer conversation. But um, we shouldn't bet the farm on those types of things. And the good news is, if they do pay off as much as what people are telling me, then, yeah, of course, you could have a lot more in and you would have done a lot better. I get it. But you'll do so well in those that it will make a meaningful difference in the total, as opposed to if they go the opposite direction, it completely crippling your future potential of retiring when you think you could. The old adage says, invest in what you know. And there are just such new technologies and that are rapidly developing. Um, how important is it to consider those and, and to talk with your financial advisor about them so people get out of that comfort zone of only using familiar investments and taking the opportunities of these new technologies to invest in? Well, I would use different terminology. I would say don't just invest in what you know. Invest in what you can understand and that makes sense to you. So there's been plenty of investments over the years, Diane, that I've done very, very well in that I didn't know they existed. I just didn't know because you can't know everything. But when they were positioned to me and explained to me, they made logical sense. I can understand all the moving parts. I understood the net gain, net loss potential. I understood all the pros and cons. And then I can make a logical decision moving forward. I think the real risk is investing in things that you don't understand at all. Maybe not that you don't know, but you just can't understand it. And I think that's where a lot of people are with, say, cryptocurrencies is we understand we'll hear terms that make sense to us like blockchain, blockchain technology or alternative currency or uh, limited supply. So the demand is what really controls it. And all of these things are true, but do the people that are investing in blockchain or in uh, cryptocurrency really, really know what they're investing in? 
And most people, unfortunately, I would say absolutely not. The other thing that concerns me about cryptocurrency in general is it affords itself so much to buying and selling at the wrong times because of the sheer volatility of it. And it's a very hot topic now because it's earned so much. But who's to think that something that started at, you know, let's just round number, say $1,000, that's now worth $40,000 or $60,000, is going to be worth a million dollars a couple years from now. Is it possible? Of course, and maybe I'll eat my words. But in reality, it's probably going to come back to some sort of mean. And if we think about over the last few years, the ebbs and flows or the peaks and valleys that this thing, that all of these cryptos have experienced, can you weather that storm? And everybody's going to say, yes, I get it. But you have $200,000 in something that three weeks from now is worth 100. Are you going to be able to sit that out? And you might say yes, but I assure you, Diane, I've seen, I've been around long enough that many, many, many people will get out at 100 and buy it back at 300 and then get out at 200 and buy it back at 400. It's just the way that it works. So the volatility is why you should only put a certain percentage in, not because it's not a viable investment, almost as a protection mechanism against yourself. And I know everybody listening is going, I wouldn't do that. A lot of people have said that over the years. I've just been around too long. So would a wise thing be to do maybe sell half when it's up that much and then and then put the other ancillary ancillary investment money uh, into it to see what it does? Or, or what's a way we can take advantage uh, safely of, of the upswing? Yeah, I mean, of course that would be an option, but listen to the way we're describing it right now. And you can tell where people's minds are at. Well, would it be a good idea if I went to the casino and I was up big at the blackjack table? <laughs> should I take what I originally brought and put it in my pocket and then only play with my winnings? I've never done that either. Because that's the way people... <laughs> That's the way people are. Well, well, right. But that's the way people are describing cryptocurrency is, no, I got a good idea. I'm just going to take what I put in off the table. They'll even say off the table. They're using gambling terminology. Again, I'm not against it because there's a lot of people that are going to listen that go, oh, he's so old school and he doesn't get it. No, I get it. You just have to be cautious. Remember, this is your entire life that you're playing with. And I don't want to be too dramatic for effect here, but don't roll the dice with everything you've saved up to this point. Let's just do it with a, with a small percentage, and let's come up with a logical pattern, whether it's take some off the table when it's up or whatever it might be. But you have to be in it for a decent amount of time to have a predictable outcome, and you don't want to do it with all of it. Besides the weekend, you can hear Josh with Bruce Hooley every Monday at 6 p.m. for Money Mondays on 98.9 The Answer. This is the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick, and you can catch us every weekend at this same time. If you'd like to call Josh, his number is 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. Thank you so much for spending time with us today, and have a great weekend, everyone. You've been listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show with host Josh Pick. Josh helps guide his clients through retirement by managing risk instead of chasing returns. He calls it a blueprint, and you can get started at no cost or obligation. Give the team at Aptus Wealth a call today to schedule your consultation at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300 or online at aptuswealth.com. That's A-P-T-U-S wealth.com. To learn strategies to manage risk in the new economy, join us again next weekend right here at 98.9 The Answer.
Any comments regarding safe and secure investments and guaranteed income streams refer only to fixed insurance products. They do not refer in any way to securities or investment advisory products. Fixed insurance and annuity product guarantees are subject to the claims paying ability of the issuing company.